0: Great. Good morning, everyone. Welcome uh, to you all. From me, my name's Will. I'm the uh, minister at Trinity at the moment. Let's pray, shall we, as we look at those words uh, together. Uh, We've just been singing, uh, show us Christ, show us Christ. Lord Jesus, we do want to uh, see you fresh this morning, and we want to hear your voice speaking. Uh, Lord, we know that your words have authority for us, just like the crowds. We are amazed at what you have to say to us. And we pray that we would not only be amazed, but that we would be transformed as well. For your glory's sake. Amen. Great. Well, I wonder if this uh, scenario rings uh, true for you, resonates in, in, any, in any way, either as the person on the receiving end of it or the person who perhaps is initiating it. Uh, a child wants to do something or they want to have something and they are pestering their parents uh, as hard as they can to, uh, to, to get it. And the parent repeatedly says, no. Now, you know what's coming. Eventually, the question changes from, can I have it, to why not? Uh, And and at some point, you almost inevitably get this response. Because I say so. (laughs) Yeah, that rings true, doesn't it, for us? Uh, Because I say so. Well, whether it's a parent uh, and a child, uh, as in that, uh, scenario there, whether it's a teacher and pupils, whether it's a, a traffic policeman and speeding motorists, uh, we're pretty familiar with the idea that people exercise authority and they do that in, in different ways. Say, for example, you know, the policeman exercises authority by handing out a speeding ticket if you're uh, caught uh, speeding on the A11. Uh, a teacher exercises authority by marking and, and grading the, the, their um, pupils at work. Um, A parent exercises authority through their words, uh, just as we saw in that first example. Jesus is one with authority. He's got authority that is given to him by his heavenly father. But how does he exercise that authority? Is it like a policeman? Does he hand out speeding tickets? (laughs) Does he kind of grade our work? No. Well, actually, as this passage tells us, actually, it's a bit like the parent. He exercises his authority by his word. Uh, That's what our passage shows us uh, this morning. But it actually shows us two deeper truths about how Jesus' word works in the world. And I want to explore these truths uh, this morning, and they're these. Uh, Firstly, this passage shows us that Jesus' words have the power to transform lives and secondly, that Jesus' words must take priority over everything else. Jesus' words have power. Jesus' words take priority. Let's look at the uh, first one first, shall we? And if you've got uh, your Bible open in front of you, that would be a great uh, help to me. Well, it's been said that there are uh, two kinds of preachers. Uh, there are preachers who have something to say. Preachers who know they just have to say something. (laughs) Uh, I'll let you pass judgment on my preaching at the end of that. Um, That's uh, one thing that's been said. I've also heard this rather unflattering definition given of preaching. Somebody said this to me at college, which I've never forgotten. Uh, A monstrous monologue given by a moron to mutes. Uh, That flatters nobody, does it, at all, I think. Uh, Even as a preacher, and I am somebody who believes very firmly in the uh, importance of preaching, I have to say, sometimes there's more truth in those statements than I would care to admit. It's probably true, it could be said of my preaching as well, even at times. But you definitely could not say that about the Lord Jesus' preaching, could you? Uh, Both uh, this week, if you were here last week, and uh, and, uh, last week, uh, we've seen uh, from Luke's gospel Jesus at work teaching and preaching. Uh, So last week uh, he was in the synagogue in Nazareth, opening up the scriptures, and leaving the crowd absolutely astonished at what he said. Then they quickly changed to anger as well, because Jesus' words always bring forth some kind of response, uh, don't they? And this week is much the same. Jesus uh, Jesus, again, he's in the synagogue, he's in public worship, but at this time, actually it's in Capernaum, it's so a little bit further around on the, uh, the shore of Lake Galilee. Same kind of scenario he's in the synagogue, opening up the scriptures. And yes again, his preaching provokes a reaction, didn't it? Verse uh, 32. Uh, the, the people were amazed at his teaching, at his message, because his words had authority. Uh, These were people who would have been used to sitting under religious teaching, under under preachers, and uh, and so on and so forth. But the religious teachers of Jesus' day would have preached in a very different style. Uh, Rather than speaking about God's words contained in in, in the Old Testament, uh, they would have given over their time to sort of speaking about all their different scribal traditions. It would have been very long and very boring. They would have backed up their points by reference to other so-called experts, uh, and that's sort of how, how it worked. Uh, Jesus, on the other hand, is very, very different. Uh, He seems to have spoken like nobody before or since. They'd never heard anyone speaking quite like Jesus. Well, why? What what was the difference with Jesus? Well, we know what the difference was because of what Jesus himself said. If you go to chapter 7 of St. John's Gospel, he tells us, doesn't he, that his teaching is not his own, but it comes from the one who sent him. Uh, Jesus isn't just speaking any old rubbish. He's speaking the very words of God Himself. When Jesus speaks, God speaks. No wonder the crowd were astonished at His authority. Uh, I once read that it was said of the uh, great uh, Welsh preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in the middle of the last century, that to, to hear him preach was like, being, uh, like hearing a, feeling an electric shock kind of coursing uh, through a church congregation. It's an amazing kind of description, isn't it? Very vivid. Now, if that was true for Dr. Lloyd-Jones, I wonder what it was like listening to the Lord Jesus Christ. How much more true must that have been? To hear him, uh, feel him searching people's hearts with his words, with such wisdom, with such authority, uh, shamelessly setting out his claims to be the son of God and the king of kings. Well, just in case we're tempted to think that Jesus was a, simply a clever speaker, well, Luke goes on to show us the power of Jesus' words uh, in action as he starts to encounter desperate individuals in uh, Capernaum. In fact, the first encounter happens actually even before the, uh, the service is over. Uh, we're told, aren't we, verse 33, in the synagogue there was a man who was possessed uh, by a demon or a sort of evil or unclean uh, spirit. Uh, sometimes when we read the Gospels and we come across these sort of uh, encounters that Jesus has with demons, uh, some people are to kind of dismiss them as just being mental illness. You know, perhaps these were primitive people who didn't really understand what was really going on. But I think we have to be careful about that, because the Bible never presents it as anything else than the work of Satan. It is the tangible reality of the evil one at work in the world, coming into contact with the Holy One of God. And it stands to reason, doesn't it? We we should never be surprised in the Christian life when uh, God's work finds itself opposed by the enemy. That's just what happens. Uh, We see it probably in our own lives. We see it in the lives of our church, don't we? When things don't work out in the way that we would hope them to. uh, Things go wrong. Uh, Sometimes it's not always direct activity, but we shouldn't be surprised when it is. Because Satan hates the work of the gospel, and he always wants to oppose it, and that's exactly uh, what we see here. But we should also be encouraged, shouldn't we? Because did you notice how Jesus deals with it? It's not a load of hocus-pocus. It's not some kind of uh, fancy demonstration. It is simply through his word. We're told, aren't we? Jesus said, be quiet, come out of him. He rebuked him, and the demon left at his name. The demon's... Uh, flee, and the man was left completely unharmed. Uh, we can imagine perhaps his family had taken him to uh, numerous witch doctors and quacks uh, to try and uh, sort him out, to try and get him fixed, and nothing had worked. He was written off as a as, as, a, as a kind of a, just a waste of time, a lost cause. And yet, where the witch doctors, where the superstition had failed, Jesus' words triumphed in power. It doesn't end there, does it? It carries on. Uh, even when Jesus uh, left uh, the synagogue, then he's confronted with more uh, suffering, uh, isn't he? Simon's mother-in-law is in bed with fever at Simon's uh, home. And again, Jesus shows us his power. Uh, they go to Jesus, they ask Jesus uh, to help her. Now, it's easy just to kind of pass over this and think, well, you know, she had a touch of man flu or something like that. You know, it wasn't very much, but a parasatical would have sourced her out. But actually, if you read this closely, Luke is showing us some of his medical training. Uh, the, 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 uh, the Greek phrase that he uses to say suffering from a high fever is straight from medical textbooks. And Luke is kind of is saying to his readers, she was really seriously ill. If you'd seen her, you would know she was at death's door. It wasn't just a touch of, you know, paracetamol, some uh, Lemsip, and she'd get better in a couple of days. She was really actually at death's door. This is a a serious uh, business. And yet again, what do we see? It's the power of Jesus' words. Jesus' words succeed where medicine has failed. An issue of life and death... And at a word, Jesus is able to heal her. Uh, and she really is healed because Luke records that not only is the fever rebuked and leaves her, she's able to get up straight away and start serving them. It's not a comment on uh, gender relations here. It's just Luke recording that this woman was completely healed. There was nothing wrong with her. One minute she'd been at death's door and the next minute she was up and about. She was able to cook them a meal. She was able uh, to serve them. Well, no wonder the crowd flocked to Jesus in that evening to, uh, to bring those who were in need. I mean, wouldn't you if you'd seen this and heard this at work? Uh, to, to, to see and hear the power of Jesus' words must have been incredibly uh, attractive. I'm told it used to be said of a great Italian conductor that uh, when uh, he sort of mounted the rostrum to conduct an orchestra, you could kind of feel his authority uh, going out into the, into the auditorium. And everyone would sort of sit up and take notice. You know, they know that something special was about to happen. And in a sense, I think you see that in this passage, don't you? That when Jesus uh, gets to work, uh, when he speaks his words, we can feel his authority flowing out uh, from him. I mean, there are many people who have spoken with the clarity and the fluency of Jesus, uh, of, uh, of, of Jesus, but none of them have had the authority that his words have had. I mean, there are many people in history who've demonstrated compassion to those in need, haven't they? And they've had uh, some uh, wise words to say about how to help people. But nobody has been able to banish demons and disease just out a word. There are lots of people who've made grand promises through history that they were going to be the ones who were going to sort the world out for people. But nobody has transformed lives in the way that Jesus is able to. Well, the response of the crowd was to take notice and to come and seek Jesus out, to seek the transformation that he had to offer. And it's the same today, isn't it, friends? Because as we sit under Jesus' words, as we read them, as we hear them proclaimed, as we hear them opened up for us, Uh, so too we will see transformation as well in our hearts and in our lives because that's the way that it's always worked. Uh, When God's word, when Jesus' words go out among a people, they open up blind eyes. They help us to see the reality of ourselves and the reality of the world and the reality of God. They set our hearts on fire. Uh, They fill us with a love for God and a passion to, to serve him like nothing else. And they equip us to go and do that. They set our, uh, set our, our hands uh, to work for Him. Uh, Jesus' words had the power to transform lives just back in Capernaum. They have the power to do the same today. Jesus' words have power to transform lives. Well, let's look at the second thing that we learn from this uh, passage Jesus' words take priority over everything else. Jesus' words take priority over everything else. Uh, we've already noted, haven't we, that Jesus' words have uh, sort of provoked different reactions to those who have heard it. So uh, in Nazareth, they try to drive Jesus out of town and chuck him off a cliff. They didn't like what he had to say. A prophet is never welcome in his uh, own country, as Jesus said. Well, here in Capernaum, actually, the crowd uh, don't uh, go to try and chuck Jesus off a cliff. They actually go looking for him, even to the point of interrupting his quiet time with the Father, uh, they try to do anything to prevent him leaving. And you can see that, can't you, in verse 42? We're told Jesus went out at daybreak to a solitary place. He was there to, to pray, to, uh, to meet with his uh, heavenly Father. And the crowd go looking for him, to try and keep him, stop him going away. And again, you know, no wonder, is it, really, why they would, uh, wouldn't want him to go away. I mean, they've seen the power of Jesus' words. It must have been like nothing else that they'd ever seen before. I mean, he's taught them like no other preacher. I mean he's exercised demons like no other priest, he's healed people like no other physician. I mean, what is this guy? I mean, single-handedly, he's emptied the hospitals, he's dealt with the crime rate, and he seems to have rendered evil impotent. I mean, who needs to pay council tax when you've got a man like Jesus around? I mean, seriously, if if you keep Jesus, your problems would, would surely would completely disappear. And yet, what does Jesus say? That's 43. Jesus refuses. And he has a very good reason for doing so. He says, I must preach or proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Jesus is a man on a mission, and it is a bigger mission than simply sorting out the social problems of Capernaum. He's a man under authority, he's under the authority of the, his heavenly Father. It's pretty emphatic, isn't it, in our English uh, NIV translations. In the Greek, it's even more so. There's a kind of construction that Luke uses for us, which he uses quite a bit through his gospel. And every time, it's underlying, it's sort of highlighting for us that Jesus is a man under God's authority. He knows why he's here. He's a man on a mission. And, and it's sort of repeat, this repeated idea that he's, uh, he must do something. He must kind of uh, go and do the next part uh, of his mission. Jesus is under God's instructions. Well, what's the mission that he has uh, for uh, the the heavenly father, his heavenly father has given him? Well, we're sold, aren't we? It is to preach the good news of the kingdom. Uh, Somebody once said God had only one son and he made him a preacher. There you go. That's some encouragement, isn't it, for uh, preachers everywhere. Jesus has not come to heal the sick or even to cast out demons, as significant as, and as important as those things undoubtedly are. Ultimately, Jesus has come to proclaim the good news of the coming of God's kingdom in his own person to the people of God. Again, we shouldn't be surprised about this. If you were with us last week, uh, you'll know uh, that we were looking at the kind of uh, announcing of Jesus' manifesto. Jesus stood up in the synagogue in Nazareth and he read from the prophet Isaiah and announced that this is what he had come uh, to do. Uh, That... uh, extract that uh, that Jesus uh, read from is from Isaiah 61. You can read it in uh, verses 18 through to 19 in the earlier part of the the chapter. It's from Isaiah 61. It's a great prophecy about the coming of God's warrior king, his sort of anointed king, who was going to come and uh, sort out the problems. The immediate context of Isaiah 61 is actually a people under judgment. Uh, Their people, God's people have wandered away from him, as they so often did in the Old Testament, and they are facing God's judgment. And when we understand the context of Isaiah 61, we can can start to understand what it really meant for Jesus. Uh, So uh, when Jesus talks about people uh, who are poor, uh, I don't think he's so much talking about material poverty, but he's talking about people who are spiritually poor. And they're spiritually poor because they've rejected God and they're experiencing his just anger. Uh, they're spiritually poor. Uh, they're blind, he says, uh, and they need to, be, uh, to, to have recovery of sight uh, because they can't see the truth about their situation. They've rejected God, and the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they can't see reality properly. They need someone to remove the scales from their eyes. Uh, they're oppressed because they've chosen to follow their own sinful hearts rather than the ways of God. And in fact, they're facing uh, slavery uh, under the Babylonians as well. But the good news that Isaiah has is that there's going to come one sent from God on whom God's affliction will really fall. Uh, He will become poor so that his people might become rich. Uh, He will submit himself to chains and to slavery and even to death in order to win deliverance for his people. And this is the year of the Lord's favor. Proclaim the year of Jubilee. And the good news that Jesus has for us is this, isn't it? He says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus knows the year of God's favor has arrived. He is the one who has come to do what Isaiah promised all those years ago. (coughs) To free his people, to set them free, to establish them under his loving rule to proclaim the coming kingdom of God, to accomplish God's rescue from the consequences of sin. Well, that is good news, isn't it? And yet we shouldn't be surprised either here, I think, that we see people trying to squeeze Jesus into their own mould and trying to kind of force Jesus to conform to their agenda. The truth is that people have always misunderstood Jesus. They misunderstood him when he walked the earth. They misunderstand him now. Uh, you might remember the, uh, the words of um, Jesus Christ Superstar. Jesus Christ Superstar, uh, do you think you're what they say you are? And the whole kind of idea is that Jesus was confused about his ministry. There are all kinds of things that we can make Jesus be and turn him into who we like, and we can change it. <coughs> Maybe it's a, a kind of liberal theologian who claims that Jesus just came to kind of build a better world, and that was all it was. Maybe it's a, a so-called red-letter Christian who only wants to pay attention to uh, Jesus' words and uh, uh, make him into a kind of social justice warrior or something like that. Now, don't, don't mishear me. Jesus' ministry clearly has social implications. He couldn't have any other. Of course it could. But actually, first and foremost, Jesus hasn't come to meet people's social needs. That's not what he's about. He's come actually to meet the deepest need of the human heart, the need to be right with God, the need to deal with sin. You, you might remember that, that encounter that uh, we, we see early on in Jesus' ministry when uh, the man, the paralyzed man is brought to Jesus through the roof. What does Jesus do first? When the whole crowd is expecting him to heal this paralyzed man, he forgives him. Jesus' agenda was to deal with the biggest problem that we have, the problem of our rebellion against God. And friends, unless we understand who Jesus really is, we will never grasp the true reason why he came. He will always remain some kind of enigma on which we just project our own uh, kind of ideas. Jesus, the social justice warrior. Jesus, uh, Che Guevara. Jesus, uh, the uh, the miracle worker. Jesus, uh, the wise teacher. Who knows? But the truth is that just as people have tried to do that with Jesus, so they also try to do it with his people, the church as well. Uh, People always try to make the church into something that Jesus never intended it to be. And they will try anything, Uh, whether it's turning it into a place of entertainment, whether it's trying to turn it into some kind of political movement, or some kind of social movement, uh, he knows. Anything, in fact, except what it is. A community of God's people gathered around his word to praise him and to worship him and yet the truth is that when we misunderstand what we're about as a church then we miss out on the power that God promises us because it's in God's word alone that the power resides you can see that can't we all the way through this passage it's when God's word is accompanied by God's spirit that blind eyes are opened to their need of rescue and they can turn to see who their rescuer really is. It's when God's word goes out, accompanied by his Holy Spirit, that people are set free from the prison of sinful habits and free to love him and serve him, just as God always intended us to be. It's when uh, God's word goes out that power is shown. And so our priority, as the people of Jesus, should be Jesus' priority. It should be to proclaim, to preach the good news of the kingdom because everything else flows out of that. Well, it seems to me that Jesus' words should be a kind of plumb line for us this morning, a kind of spirit level, to test ourselves uh, against uh, what he has to say. Because if we've grasped what he really says to us here this morning, then we should be the people who are able to see him as he is He's not some kind of social justice crusader. He's not even a revolutionary. He is God's rescuer, God's anointed king. He's come to free us from sin. And that is good news, isn't it? We'll want to listen to his word every day because that's where the power resides, the power to change our hearts, to grow us more like him. And we'll want to see that as a church family as well, won't we? We'll want to make Jesus' words the main thing that we are about. Yes, on a Sunday morning, of course, but yes, during the week as well, in all that we do, because that's where the power resides. Yes, of course, we'll love people. Yes, we'll befriend them. Yes, we will do good deeds because Jesus tells us that we should do that, and we are called to show love to those around us. But actually, above all, we're called to do the most loving thing that we could possibly do, which is to share Jesus' words with them so that they too can come to know him and come to love him like us. And friends, just just think what will happen when we do that. When we do that, we will see blind eyes being opened. We will see those who might be materially rich but spiritually poor become spiritually rich. We will see lives transformed and set free in the power of God. Just uh, the other week, I was reading a, a recent survey. Apparently, it's churches who value God's words, heard and shared, that are those who are most growing. Well, the person who'd written the report was quite surprised by that. <laughs> but I think on the evidence of this passage, we shouldn't be surprised at all, should we? And actually, we know that in experience as well. It's those who give priority to what Jesus gives priority that God will be pleased to bless. And they'll be the ones uh, who uh, will see his power at work. How does Jesus exercise his authority? He does it through his word. His word heard, his word proclaimed, and when his words are given priority, we see his word work in power among his people. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, we do thank you that uh, you came to proclaim good news. Thank you that it is good news of a saviour, the saviour that we so desperately need And Lord Jesus, we want to pray this morning, both for ourselves and uh, as a church family, that we would give priority to what you give priority to. Uh, We are your people and we want to please you. And we do ask that as we do so, we would experience your power. We pray that we would see hearts changed. uh, Hearts that once were were cold to you, set on fire with love for you. Eyes that are blind to your claims and to the truth of our, our worlds and our needs, opened up to see you clearly. And Lord, we pray that you would free us from sin so that we can serve you uh, just as we were intended to do so. Do it, we pray, by your power. Amen.